Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries, and welcome to our program, The Final Redemption of Israel, about the Greater Exodus. We are well into our study. In fact, this is going to be our final episode of this teaching. We'll be making our final point and then summarizing what we have been going through in these previous lessons. In the last couple of lessons, I've been going through the seven elements, the seven specific kinds of prophecies that are all associated with the last generation, all associated with the events that come at the end of the age, all of which are speaking to the final redemption, each of the elements, in particular the gathering of the remnant of Israel, the scattered exiles from all of the nations of the world, bringing him back to the land so that the Messiah can come to the land, he can establish his kingdom, thus the final redemption of all of Israel. Now, just to quickly review, there are seven specific elements that go into it. The prophecies that identify the last generation, the events leading to what we call the beginning of sorrows that the Messiah said would be happening to that generation as we approach the end of the age. We talked about the prophecy of the regional war of a northern army attacking Israel and about a great victory that God and Israel will have over that enemy that will lead to the declaration by the Lord of the end of the exile of the nations. Then we talked about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which also follows immediately after that and the restoration of the two houses, the reunification of Israel, the whole house of Israel, and no longer having two kingdoms, no longer having the house of Israel separate from the house of Judah. And then we talked about the start of the Great Tribulation, what the abomination of desolation was all about, and how the the Great Tribulation has a period of three and a half years that leads to the day of the Lord. It's a very traumatic time, a time of distress, as the world has never known, and how we are going to be rescued through that. And that's also part of the story of the final redemption of Israel. And then we talked about the coming of the Lord and the resurrection, but there was one other final element, and that is the meaning of the Feast of Ingathering. So that's our final point that we want to make here to complete the definition of the things that are embedded in what we call the final redemption of Israel. We have a feast in the biblical feast. It's the last one. It comes in the fall called the Feast of Ingathering. Some call it the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. In the Hebrew, it's called Sukkot. Sukkot is the word for huts and tents and booths for that feast. And it is the final feast of the Levitical 23 feasts, the seven feasts that are listed there. I need to review those just quickly for you. It begins first with Passover in the spring. And immediately following Passover in the month of Nisan is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
And during the days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we have even a yet another feast called the Feast of First Fruits. And then there's a counting from that to sometime in the summer called the Feast of Weeks. There's a count of seven Sabbaths following the Feast of First Fruits. Now, without going into a lot of review details, all of the feasts are really telling us the great redemption story. It's about the Messiah. It's about the things the Messiah does. And, and the Messiah came to us to do the work of redemption, and the, he participated in the Passover. He was shown to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the Lamb is the thing that is central in the Passover, and he took the Passover Seder, the memorial ritual of remembering the Passover, and he used that as the instrument for him to introduce the new covenant to us that we all enjoy today. Now, he fulfilled what we call the spring feast. That's the work that he's accomplished. But then there are three more feasts that come in the fall. They include the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. They all occur in the Hebrew month of Tishri. Trumpets is on the 1st, Day of Atonement is on the 10th, and the Feast of Tabernacles begins on the 15th. These fall feasts picture what we've been talking about in the previous elements of this program, the things that happen at the final redemption. Trumpets is a very clear spiritual message about sounding the trumpet, the coming of the king, the sign of the Son of Man coming, the resurrection and gathering of the saints, calling them up, you know, at the sound of the great trumpet. And then the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as we say in the Hebrew, is the day that shadows and foretells of the Day of the Lord. It is a day in which, in the observance, we do not feast. We're somber, we're quiet for that day. And it's to reflect that God ultimately is going to have a day of reconciliation with the whole world. And when it's said and done, the enemies of God are going to be defeated, and those that belong to the Lord will find that their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and will be entering the kingdom once the judgment is done. The prophet Zechariah tells us that the very first feast that we are going to eat when we're in the kingdom, and oh yes, we will be keeping the feast of the Lord in the kingdom, the very first one is going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. And I want to take you through a little bit of the commandment of the Feast of Tabernacles because it indicates to us how this final redemption works a little bit. Now, right off the bat, since we talked about final redemption is the gathering of the scattered exiles, here we have a feast that's even called the Feast of Engathering. It's when all of the saints come to worship the Lord, celebrate the Lord, and it's to be a very joyous event. And you're going to see here the way Moses gave the commandment for us to observe it and to learn from it. He's actually preparing us for the final redemption. So turning to the Levitical feast, we go to Leviticus 23. And in verse 33, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth of this seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no labor's work of any kind. 
For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly you shall do no laborious work. So let me avoid a little confusion here. The feast is really eight days long. But the first seven days we call Sukkot, and the last day is called Hoshana Rabbah, which means the day of the great feast. And this is like uh, everything has been building to this one thing. Well, it's, it makes sense that the prophets have said this is the first feast that we're going to have in the kingdom. This is the first one we're going to observe with the Messiah when he returns. Now, there's additional instruction on this feast, and it gives us some clues. Well, what exactly are we doing, and how do we observe the feast, and how does that play into giving us information about the final redemption? How does that play into the whole scenario that we've been talking about? Let me take you deeper into Leviticus 23 at verse 39. Let me read from there. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native-born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, for I am the Lord your God." If you stop and think here for a moment, all of the feasts really center around the central story of what is in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. I've been a Torah teacher for a while, and I can basically summarize the whole Torah in two sentences for you. The Torah is really the story of a single generation that were in Egypt, and the Lord sent Moses, and by great strength of the Lord, he delivered those people out of Egypt, and he led them on a path through the wilderness toward the promised land. It's really a story about that generation traveling to the promised land. Now, the first book, Genesis, is really explaining where did these people come from and how in the world did they get stuck in Egypt to begin with. But the end story, when Moses gives his final discourse, he pointedly says, I'm not talking to the people standing here today. So the logical question is, well, Moses, who are you talking to? He says he's talking to the last generation, the one that will have seen all of these things transpire, will have seen the blessing and curses that happened to Israel, will have seen them being scattered in the nations, and will be the ones that will see God regather them from the nations. And he says to that generation some very specific things. And so the whole story of the Egyptian exodus is really a prophecy, if you will, to the last generation. 
So here's the events of this one generation that comes out of Egypt, and it's all the lessons for the last generation. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 when he says, now those things that happened in the wilderness are for our ad admonition and instruction upon whom will fall at the end of the ages. So with that said, these feasts, that the Lord has set up to memorialize everything from the Passover meal they had, eating the roasted lamb, the blood on the doorpost, and that's how they were able to leave Egypt with the Tenth Judgment, all the way through the other feasts, like not eating, permitted to eat leavened bread. We have to eat the bread of haste because our ancestors, when they left Egypt, didn't have time to let their bread rise. All the way through first fruits, all the way to trumpets and the battles, all the way to Yom Kippur, all the way to the Feast of Tabernacles. And what are we supposed to be doing? Remembering how our ancestors, when they came out of Egypt, lived in booths and tents and huts and very temporary structures. So by going and observing that and keeping that feast, whether you realize it or not, you're in a training program so that you're going to be equipped as the last generation to understand what God's plan is for the final redemption, and you'll be ready to go, ready to escape, ready to survive, ready to endure those days, and to see the coming of the Lord and walk into the kingdom. It's an incredible story how it all comes together. Stepping back from all the feasts, you can see the pattern, how it goes. That is that feast, that final feast of Sukkot is one of the most powerful feasts that you can participate in. You learn how to get up out of your house, like our ancestors did, go out and establish a campsite, a, a, a sukkah, and you learn how to begin to live and operate in that highly mobile, temporary nature. Now, humorously, one of the things that I teach when we hold the Feast of Tabernacles it's very important how you set up your sukkah. You need to set it up to where that it's going to be able to deal with the elements that you're going to be in because you're not in your house, you're not back in the city, you're out where the elements are at, wind and heat and cold and rain and whatever. And one of the things that we teach is that you must learn how to keep mama warm and dry. If you fail to do that, then you're going to find out what great tribulation is all about. That's a humorous way of looking at the whole dynamic, but it's a very important teaching lesson that's given to us, and those feasts tell us about the final redemption and things that we may be facing as a part of the final redemption. All right, that covers those seven main elements that constitute and form up what we call the final redemption, all those different prophecies coming together, one last generation that we'll see them. So let's step back and let's review again what this program has been about. I take you back to originally what I started with is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, where he makes this statement, and I will review it again. Romans 11, beginning at verse 25. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. The final redemption of Israel is almost a mystery to some people. It is a huge mystery prophecy and it's a combination of many prophecies so that he says so that you would be wise in your own estimation 
that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Has Israel gone into captivity? Yes. Did they disobey the Lord? Yes. That was prophesied to be. It's also prophesied to be that God will bring them back from those nations where they've been scattered. Now, I very strongly emphasize this. I want to reiterate this to you again in the review. The covenants and the promises that God has made are irrevocable. There is no theology that can negate what God has said he's going to do. So, for example, if somebody comes along and says, well, when the Messiah came, he basically did away with the previous covenants, we've replaced it with the new covenant, and now we have a new institution called the church instead of Israel. Let me just go ahead and tell you, the Bible does not support that. In fact, what the Bible says is God keeps covenant. And he's going to do what he said, not necessarily what theologians would like to conjure up. I made a a very strong case for that. I trust that uh, you saw the intent and the purpose and that you're in agreement with that. Paul goes on to say, and he quotes from this, until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, so thus all Israel shall be saved. When we're saying all Israel shall be saved, we're talking about those prophecies of God will keep the covenants, and wherever they're at, at the ends of the earth, he will be bringing them back. He will deliver them. He will save them. And then he quotes from the prophet Isaiah, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul is quoting and saying that God made this covenant before the new covenant ever came, and he said, this is the way it's going to work. This is who I'm going to save. This is how I'm going to save them, and I'm going to take away their sins. Again, any theologian trying to tell you, well, these prophecies don't apply anymore, here's Paul quoting them. Here is Paul referring back to the original covenant prophecies, and so anybody suggesting otherwise is not correct. And I emphasize that very strongly with you. You must get past the theology that we find in the churches today, in modern Christianity today. In many cases, it's contrary to what God has promised and said. If we're going to see this final redemption, we have to stick with what God has said. The redemption, as I shared with you, includes the Messiah gathering the scattered sheep like a shepherd. And when it says like a shepherd, it's about not beating them with a stick. It's not rounding them up like cattle. It is calling for them. And the shepherd's voice is what they hear, and he can call them out by name. And we each have been called. We have each heard the voice of the Messiah call us to him. We were not forced into this. We were invited to join with the shepherd, and that is what has taken place. It includes the resurrection of all the saints in the end. It includes the reunification of the two houses of Israel and the return to the land of Israel. It includes the great story about God's promise to Abraham to give him this land and that his many descendants would live on that land. That's the ultimate promise he made to Abraham. By the way, when we get to the Messianic kingdom, that promise will be revealed. All of the saints, the remnant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they will be brought back. 
So, again, we went through the seven steps of the seven specific prophecies that meld into this from Passover to Tabernacles, how it mentions God's redemption and shows that, that the redemption that we're really talking about is being passed from death to life. The redemption was first defined to us at Egypt when the angel of death moved about from house to house. When he saw the lamb's blood on the doorpost, he passed over that house. Death passed over to life. Each one of us, when we receive the Messiah and we receive his sacrifice, we have been passed from death to life. John 5.24 says specifically that is what has happened to us when we became believers. We've been passed from death to life. So the Passover is the beginning of the definition of redemption, but it doesn't end with that. That's just the start. And it leads through all the story of the Messiah. It leads through ultimately the Messiah leaving, coming back and dwelling in the land and us returning with the Lord to the land. This is the ultimate story of the redemption. The last generation are those that are part of the final redemption of Israel. And we also talked about that the final redemption is about the last generation. If you remember at the very beginning of this program, you heard me talk about destiny. And destiny is not something that you choose for yourself. Destiny is something that you get from someone else. According to God's plan, he has a destiny for one particular generation. It's the last generation. He knows the time when he's going to return, and that generation is destined to see these final events, to see the promises fulfilled, and to see the coming of the Messiah. They have this destiny. Now, you can't run away from your destiny. If you fight your destiny, it's going to be a great losing struggle. Once you discover your destiny and you accept it and you come to terms with it and you start agreeing with what your destiny is, you are on the path to great success. I'm here to tell you, brethren, that the last generation has a great destiny in the Lord. The quicker that we find out what God's plan is, the quicker we find out and understand what the final redemption of Israel is, and we see our part and our role in it, and we see our destiny in it, the better for us, the better for us and our families. Now, I'm just going to say it as simple and straightforward as I possibly can for you. I believe we are the last generation. I believe the evidence is overwhelming in that regard. As to the exact timing of exactly how these things happen, I don't know. We're definitely watching and paying attention to the end-time events. We're watching for, for example, the prerequisites for all of these prophecies. We see the evidence that we're the last generation. There's no other generation that ever has ever been like ours, both in number in the way we travel to and fro, and the technology that we have in the world that we have today. Furthermore, we see the evidence of the house of Israel rising up in the nations and coming to term with their destiny, that they're part of Israel. 
The modern messianic movement is waking up all kinds of people. And they're beginning to realize the Torah is for them. The promises that were made to Israel are for them. That God does not discriminate, as some would suggest. We're also learning about all these other prophecies that are taking place. And we can see them getting ready to form, the beginning of sorrows in particular. We can see the prerequisites all coming into place. And we know there's a moment when all of this comes to where there's no doubt about it. And it has to do with that abomination of desolation prophecy. It has to do with the Jewish people in the land of Israel starting to rebuild the temple. And in particular, setting up that altar. Starting to do the daily sacrifice. And we know that there's people that are opposed to that, and we know the prophecy says that once they get it started, somebody is going to force it to be stopped. And when the cessation of that happens, the prophecies then take over very specifically. We have 1,290 days of great tribulation. Three and a half years. And immediately after those three and a half years, we'll see the coming of the Son of Man. There will be the resurrection of the saints. The day of the Lord will hit the earth. Now, we're waiting right now as the last generation for those elements. Um, I'm not going to give you a specific update. By the time you do this program, it may have already taken place. But I'm in the position right now where I'm listening to the voices in Israel calling for the reestablishment of the temple there is the setting up of the altar, and there's even priests being trained on how to do the daily sacrifice. None of those things have existed 20 years ago. So here we sit at this time, and maybe you're viewing this program, and those things have already transpired. Well, then you should be able to see that we truly are the last generation. We truly are in those days, and you need to be looking for these prophecies to be fulfilled. And you need to understand, here is God's final goal. He's going to redeem and save all of us. And those that understand his prophecies will be in parallel with it. Again, let me just summarize and say, I believe we are the last generation. And I believe it is our destiny to be part of the final redemption of Israel. Shalom to everyone.